Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Here's the contrast between idols and the true God. Idols must be carried. Idols must be served. And the service to idols, although in the beginning it might seem to be so exciting, so thrilling, so adventurous, but there comes a moment where everything turns in the opposite direction. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Isaiah chapters 46 through 47. Now, here's Pastor Brian. We are picking up in Isaiah once again, and we're going to pick up in chapter 46. So we've been getting through a couple of chapters a week here as we're going through these 40s, and we're going to keep doing that. I think we'll be able to make it through 46 and 47. So if you got your Bible open, chapter 46 begins with Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols were on the beast and on the cattle. So this is about Babylon now. We, we've talked about over the past Several weeks, of course, a lot of these prophecies have to do specifically with Babylon and with the, the captivity of Judah. They were going to go into this captivity. And maybe you remember that we talked about how uh, Isaiah is prophesying these things about 150 years before they ever happen. So Judah's going to be conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. They're going to be led away into captivity in Babylon. And then after 70 years, God is going to raise up Cyrus and Cyrus the Persian. He's going to come and he's going to conquer Babylon and he's going to liberate the Jews and he's going to send them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and ultimately to rebuild the city. And, and that's what these prophecies are about. Now, now, remember, Babylon was, it was this great, great world power. As a matter of fact, in Daniel's prophecies, maybe you remember there, the story in the second chapter, how King Nebuchadnezzar, this, this great king, he has this dream of this image, this massive image that has a golden head and arms and chest of silver and belly and thighs of brass and has legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. And, and Nebuchadnezzar has this, uh, this, this dream and he sees this in this vision. And it's just this, you know, just this amazing thing. But in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream that this stone comes and it smites this image in its feet and the whole thing crumbles to dust and the wind blows it away like the wind blows away the chaff. And then the, the stone that struck the image turns into a mountain. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he is absolutely freaked out, to say the least, about this dream. And he's, he's got to know what this means. And so he calls for all of his those that uh, would, you know, the magicians and the various people in the court that he would have depended on for insight into spiritual matters and things. And he's so 
desperately wants to know the dream or the meaning of the dream that he actually tells these guys. He said, I'm not even going to tell you what I dreamed because I don't want you to try to pretend that you know and give me a fake interpretation. So you're going to, first of all, have to tell me what I dreamed and then you're going to have to give me the interpretation. And they just obviously said, that is ridiculous. That is unreasonable. No king anywhere has ever done anything like that. And Nebuchadnezzar wasn't anybody to mess with. So he said, hey, that's the way it is. And if you don't do it, I'm going to basically kill all of you. And so there was a panic that went throughout the, the kingdom. And, and to make a long story short, Daniel emerges as one who is going to tell him what he dreamed and give him the interpretation of the dream. And so Daniel does. He goes in, he says, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what happened. O king, you were dreaming. You saw this image. And he went through what the image would look like and the material that it was made of. And then, you know, he told him a thing and Nebuchadnezzar was like, oh, we're going to take you and we're going to elevate you. It was amazing. He couldn't believe it. He bowed down before Daniel, actually. But then Daniel told him the interpretation. And the interpretation was that in this image, he said, O king, you are the head of gold. And then there's going to be another kingdom that's going to replace yours. And that's represented by the chest and the arms of silver. And then that kingdom is going to be replaced by another kingdom that's represented by the brass. And then another kingdom represented by the iron and so forth. And, and what you see is you see the metals going from the most precious gold down ultimately to clay. And Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. So that was all introductory to say that Babylon was, was a great empire, perhaps the greatest empire in the history of the world. And the two chief gods of Babylon were Marduk and supposedly his son, Nebo. Marduk is also called Bel. And so God is speaking here. And what does he say? Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. So the point that God is going to be making here, as he has done many times over in these chapters already, is just the utter futility of trusting in idols. And so in the Babylonian New Year, they would have these great festivals and these great parades and they would take these gods of Marduk and Nebo and they would place them on the backs of animals, cattle and so forth. And they would come on through the city in a grand parade. And so that's what God is actually referring to here. And so he says, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols were on the beast and on the cattle. So these images, what God is wanting them to see is that these images have to be carried by someone else. They don't have any feet. They can't walk anywhere. <laughs> they can't even transport themselves. They have to be transported. And not only do they have to be transported, but they become a burden to the beasts that are transporting them. And, and so the whole picture is that how these idols uh, basically bring a burden upon people's lives. They don't lift a burden off of people's lives. They bring a burden onto people's lives. And so 
your carriages were heavy, heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. So again, the point that God's going to make here is the futility of idols. Now we've, like I said, we've talked about idols over the past, well, throughout the entirety of the book, because that's been much of what Isaiah has been addressing. And I did mention previously as well that we sometimes tend to think that this was an ancient kind of an issue that doesn't really exist so much among us today. Uh, But as I think I even pointed out, you know, in many places in the world, idolatry, even this type of idolatry is is still alive and well. Um, You might not be aware, there are one billion approximately 1 billion Hindus in the world. And and Hinduism is is very much a religion of idols where they they literally have images and idols. And they're not alone in that, but I'm just going to use them as an illustration because I heard this amazing story about a former Hindu priest who met Jesus. And it's just an absolutely amazing story. But as this young man is is telling his story, he's talking about his practices as a Hindu, growing up in a Hindu home. He grew up in England in a Hindu home. But immediately when I heard it, I thought, I've heard this story before. And it took me back to a friend of mine who used to be in the church that I pastored when I lived in London. And he was an Indian guy from South Africa. And and I'll never forget one time I was preaching on, I think it was 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul there is, again, talking about idols and things like that. And, And in my mind, I was thinking myself like, well, you know, this is something that happened in the ancient world. It doesn't really happen today. And but this is what they did. And this is was the problem with it and and so on. And I'll never forget that after the service that day, this young man came up to me and he said, you know, Pastor Brian, I want to tell you something. He said, "Those that kind of idolatry that you're talking about, that was practiced every day in my home. So I just listened to this story by this former Hindu priest. And he's talking about when he was a kid growing up in his Hindu home in London, he was talking about the daily routine. You get up in the morning The first thing you do at the crack of dawn is you take a bath because you got to cleanse yourself ceremonially. And then after you take a bath, then you you go in and you spend some time in prayer before the idols. And then you eat your breakfast. But before you eat your breakfast, you prepare food for the idols. And he and his family would just describe how they would go in and they would present the food to the idols, to the little images And then after they had presented the food to the images, then they would go ahead and feed themselves. And, you know, as I was listening to that, I was thinking, wow, this is still so incredibly relevant. You know, sometimes people say, well, the Bible's, you know, outdated and out of touch and old fashioned and irrelevant to our modern times. And it's not that at all. It's not that even in Western sophisticated supposedly Western civilization, too sophisticated for idols. But you think how so much of the world in many ways is still much like it was in the ancient times. So all that to say, idolatry is still alive and well in the world today. And what God is wanting us to know over and over again is that idols are futile. Idols are powerless. Idols 
cannot help you. Idols only burden you. And, and this is so much the case. Even in our materialistic Western culture, where our idols are a little more sophisticated, maybe, yet the principle remains the same. I remember hearing one of the leaders of the LGBT movement in Britain, the group called Stonewall. I remember hearing the, the leader of that. I remember him saying, speaking very candidly, he said, speaking kind of collectively, he said, the bodies of young men are our gods. And wow, that was a pretty, just a straightforward explanation of, of what's really going on in, in the hearts and lives of people. But, but I remember hearing him say that. And then I remember reading the story. Some of you will remember the actor Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson was a very famous Hollywood actor. And he was, you know, the guy who was always with the, you know, the most amazing looking girl in the film. But yet he lived a gay life got into homosexuality as a young guy in the military. I read, I read his story. But he contracted AIDS and he eventually died of AIDS. And I'll never forget reading how toward the end of his life, as he was in the throes of AIDS, he said that it was at one time was his idol, the bodies of young men. To him at that stage in his life, the whole thought of it was so just... It was so devastating to him because he realized it was the thing that he idolized that actually was had brought about his premature death. He was dying. And, and he knew that it was his lifestyle that had killed him or was killing him. And so, you know, this thing that he idolized, this, this lifestyle that he lived, this that he was um, so devoted to and committed to and thought that this was so wonderful as so often idols do appear that way initially. But like all idols, in the end, you have to carry them. And in the end, they crush you. And that's the picture that God has given. So listen to me, O house of Jacob, verse three, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. Here's the contrast. Who have been upheld by me from birth who have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, even to gray hairs, I will carry you, I have made, and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. So here's the contrast between idols and the true God. Idols must be carried. Idols must be served. And the service to idols, although, as I said, in the beginning, it might seem to be so exciting, so thrilling, so adventurous, but there comes a moment where everything turns in the opposite direction and the idol becomes the downfall, becomes the burden, becomes the thing that people are bound to and wish they could get out from under. But the Lord, on the other hand, the Lord, he says, I upheld you from the womb. I I have carried you. You know, I want a God that can carry me, not a God that I have to carry. And thank God, the God of the Bible is the God who carries us. Just like he carried Israel of old, 
he carries us. And even to your old age, I am he, even to your gray hairs. This is particularly relevant to me these days. You know, I was, uh, my wife, Cheryl, she took a picture of me sitting on the couch with the dog on my lap. I think it was yesterday and she posted it on Instagram. And I didn't know that she did that. She did it stealthily. But um, later I was scrolling through my Instagram feed and I saw this picture of this like super gray haired person sitting on the couch. I thought, oh my gosh, that's me. Look at that gray hair. How did that happen? Well, it happens. And yet here's the good news. Even to your gray hairs, I will carry you. And, you know, I I just want to say that, you know, I met the Lord when I was just in my early 20s. And man, I can just say that God has been so faithful. He has carried me. And believe me, there were times when I absolutely needed to be carried. There were times when I could not carry myself at all. And the Lord carried me. And I, you know, sometimes lately, uh, Cheryl and I are coming up on our 40th wedding anniversary here next month. And we look at each other and we think, wow, we've been married 40 years. That is absolutely amazing. How did that happen? But we also, at the same time, and we're very thankful for God's faithfulness to us. But at the same time, we think of how God has he's just carried us through so many things. He's been with us the whole time. And, and he's blessed us. And doesn't mean we didn't have challenges and difficulties. And, and we did have seasons where there really was a carrying that seemed to be going on. But all that to say, that's the God that we serve. He is the, the one who, from the womb, he has carried us from the womb. And so verse five says, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike. And so the answer is there is no comparison. And I listen to a lot of podcasts and different things, you know, and I end up listening to things where you'll have, you know, atheists chiming in on different things and, and so forth. And they come, you know, with their clever arguments and, you know, thinking that they've really got one over on anybody who believes in God. And, 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 and you know, the, the longer I live and the more I listen to that stuff, I just think, how sad, you know, how sad, because every single person will come to a place in life where they will have to be carried. And if that person's life has been committed to idols, then they will find there's nothing to carry them because the idols can't carry them through whatever the idols might be, the idols of success, the idols of fame, the idols of, of wealth, the idols of control, power, whatever those things are. They, they all have an have a expiration point. They all run out, but not the Lord. The Lord says, who, who can you compare with me? The answer is, of course, no one. And so, He's, now he talks about the idol, verse six. They lavish gold out of a bag. They weigh silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith and make it a god. They prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship. They bear it on the shoulder. They carry it and set it in its place. And it stands. From its place, it shall not move. Though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer nor save him out of his trouble. 
You know, in the Psalms, David wrote about idols and the futility of idols. And he said this, he said, they have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have a nose, but they can't smell. They have hands, but they can't touch. They have feet, but they can't walk. And then he says this, and those who worship them are like them. You know, we become what we worship. That's just a fact. We become what we worship. If we worship the true God, then we become more like him. That's what's happening. We're in a process of being conformed to the image of God's son, Jesus Christ. But if I worship an idol, then what happens is just as the idol is blind, the idol is dumb, the idol is deaf, the idol is powerless, I progressively become that. That's what the description here tells us about the idol. They, you cry out to it, it can't answer it, it can't save anyone out of its trouble. Remember this and show yourself men. Recall to mind, O oh, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Now, once again, as we've seen, this is, God says that his ability to predict the future and then obviously to direct the future, because if he's predicting it, he's telling you the way it's going to go. It's because he's making it go that way. These are the things that he points to that set him apart from all others. So this is one of the ways that we know that God is God. And I think we've talked about this before. But the the prophetic element of the book, prophetic meaning telling the future, or as it's referred to, forth-telling. So telling in advance the things that are going to happen. Now, remember in the context here, he's telling about this man that he's going to raise up. He's already given his name. He's He's going to raise up this man, Cyrus. And again, Cyrus isn't even born yet. But I was listening to a teaching the other day, and it was talking about the whole thing with Cyrus and, you know, talking about just kind of imagining what it would have been like for the, this young couple, you know, to have this child and here's this boy that they have and they're wondering, you know, what, what should we name him? And for, for whatever reason, they come up with the name Cyrus and everybody agrees that's a good name. Well, that, you know, we read here in these Isaiah passages that it was the Lord actually who put it in their hearts to name him that. And here again, God is reminding everybody that, that he's the one who knows the end from the beginning. You know, I just finished reading the book of Revelation yesterday. And I'll tell you, man, he knows the end from the beginning. And it's amazing when, you, when you've read through the whole Bible and when you've done that a few times and you kind of get the sense of, you know, the storyline of the Bible. And, you know, anybody who's been with the Bible for a little bit, you've probably read Genesis, at least the early chapters of Genesis. And you know that in in Genesis, the word Genesis actually means beginning. Uh, This is the beginning of everything. For the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 
15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament theology for real life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. How can we understand some of the most important concepts in the Bible? And how can those concepts make a practical impact on our lives? In his book, 15 New Testament Words of Life, Dr. Nijay Gupta traces 15 words through the Bible that make an impact on how we live the Christian life. Words like righteousness, faith, and holiness. You'll learn their Old Testament background, discover their relevance during New Testament times, make connections with other passages in the Bible, and realize their practical impact for living life today. This book will help to bring theology to life. If you want to see how some of the most important theological themes in the Bible can come to life for you, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order 15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament theology for real life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.